Hi, welcome to Master Your Mind with me, Marissa Peer, teaching you the secrets to harness the powerful potential of your mind so you can have a fulfilled and happy and extraordinary life. Send your questions or your problems that you'd love me to solve to podcast at marissapeer.com. So we're the hat ladies today, me and Mickey. I met Mickey Portugal, and it is my honor and my delight to introduce you to Mickey Ag- Agarwal. Could you pronounce your name for me, please? Agarwal. Mickey Agarwal. She is an amazing entrepreneur. She's she's created two products I'm in love with, which is Thanks and Tushy. And my daughter is a real fan because you created these period pants, as we call them, period pants, or you might call them a better period wear. But I want you to tell us about them and. Her book is called Disruptor, and it's so apt because Mickey uses disruption to disrupt people's beliefs, to bring about something new. And she she's not embarrassed about changing culture, and she's not embarrassed about talking about how to clean your butt or how to have better periods. And I love that. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Do you think it's true to say that most period products have been designed by men? If they are, women have been, been designed by men. Tampons and pads were all invented by men. Yeah. So that could you got you to create by a woman what women need. So now go from tampons to B-days. Yes. And so, you know, I always say necessity is a mother of invention. It always, you know, in my first book, Do Cool Shit, I talk about the three questions I always ask myself before starting any company. The first question I ask myself is, what sucks in my world? You know, it has to be a problem that starts with me. That's a pain point that's frustrating. Um, and so like, as an example, having period accidents constantly was a real messy pain point. So tell me, you must have, you, you must have been inundated with orders during COVID when we couldn't even buy toilet paper. We were having yeah. stand up fights in the aisles of the grocery store just yeah. to toilet paper. It's like, come on guys, you can't eat toilet paper. You know, it's not essential. You've got water. You can live without it. So did you find that your business was booming for the last yes, year? Absolutely. And before I answer that question, I forgot to. So the three questions I asked myself is what sucks oh, yes, in sorry. my world? What sucks in my world? The second question is, does it suck for a lot of people? Mm. That it's only a problem that sucks for you, then yeah. maybe it's not a business, you know, but if it sucks for a lot of people, like every single woman has had a period accident, every human who has GI issue, who wants to support trees, who has mobility issues, who has thyroid problems, who has all kind, just back, just, you, you know, chronic UTIs, hemorrhoids, all these things would, their lives would be changed with a bidet. So anyone who just wants to be clean, like anyone who just wants to go on a date and feel sexy, like, you know, so um, it's a problem for everyone. And then the third question is, can I be passionate about this issue cause or community for a really long time? You know, oftentimes, you know, people think like, I'm going to build the next Instagram and build a billion dollar business. And I'll make, you know, whatever that just, that's like winning the lottery. And so we have to understand that it could take 10 years to be an overnight success, right? That's saying like, it could, we, we have to, we oh. might have to sit in the discomfort for a really long time to really hit, hit to like make a, a big business. And I think, for me, people are like, oh my God, you just things just took off. But you so quickly, like, well, no, we started, I came, we came up with the idea in 2005, worked on it in 2011, 
you know, really like, you know, started working on 2011, launched in 2014, really blew up in 2015, 2016, 2017. And then, you know, I've been, have been growing ever since. And, and so it's really been like, a 10 year project, literally. And same thing with Tushy, Tushy, the idea, like I had the, the thyroid issue in the 2013, 2014 times. So that's when I um, had that ding, ding, ding idea to start Tushy. And that's 2021. It's been seven years. And so, you know, people think that things pop up out of nowhere. You think about LaCroix, you know, LaCroix, the drink, LaCroix. That's a 30 year old company, 30. People are wow, it just popped up out of nowhere. Well, they've been around for 30 years and people just don't, don't, don't realize that. So, you know, it takes a, some, so you have to really understand, like, can I be passionate about this thing for a really long time? For me, can I be passionate about women's issues? Yes. Can I be passionate about saving trees, supporting the global sanitation crisis and elevating the human experience when it comes to the thing that we do every single day, which is going to the bathroom? The answer is yes, forever. So answering those questions are really important. So then during COVID, so we've been spending six plus years getting super excited about getting people to try a bidet, adopt a bidet, use it. COVID happened, the great toilet paper shortage happened. And all of the six years of getting people to kind of learn about Tushy, but not quite sure that they want to buy it yet. They all converted. We had our first million dollar day during the toilet paper shortage and our company has blown up since. And it's been We've been on a rocket ship and it's been just super, super exciting. So what advice would you give? Because people do that. They think, I've got an idea. I'm going to take the idea to market. It's going to be amazing. And they don't often factor in that there's a lot of delays, a lot of setbacks. You know, I remember when I wrote my first book, that thud of hearing the manuscript because it's been sent back and then another thud. And of course, you just have to repackage that manuscript, send it back. But what advice would you give to people who've got an idea, they're at point A, how would you advise them to keep going when they have setbacks and indeed rejections? What did you do when you have setbacks and rejections? Yeah, I mean, give myself the space first to feel through the feelings. I think sometimes you want to just move through and be like, I'm okay, I'm great, I'm fine. And then we're sort of like harboring sort of like the sadness or the upset around it. So I always say like, give yourself a timeline to grieve or like to, to, to deal with a setback. Like if it's a small setback, give yourself an hour or give yourself 20 minutes or go meditate like enough time. If it's a big setback, hold yourself for a while. It's okay. And, 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 and check in with yourself when you feel like, okay, like my, I gave myself a timeline of one week to like really heal from this. I'm just going to go in and cry and get all the shit out and write all the purge, all the feelings I have about this on the page send it to a friend that can hold me accountable to my purge. And then I can move through it. And I've kind of got all the gunk out of my system. I've thrown up, I can flush the toilet and now I can wipe my mouth, take a shower and start again. And I think, you know, humans often try really hard to like save face and, and want to like feel okay immediately. And, you know, you think about animals in the wild, like when an animal gets injured, what do they do? They crawl into a hole in a tree and they sit there for two weeks. Don't eat. They don't drink. They literally just sit there for two weeks and just heal. And like, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh and the Buddha talks about a method of healing, which is stopping, calming, resting, then healing, stopping, calming, resting, then healing. We often don't stop and calm and rest to heal, to then start again. We just 
push through and, and put this brave face on, but then we're just, it comes out in these icky ways where we're just leaking and, you know, like reacting to the trauma that we've experienced or the things that we've experienced because we haven't given ourselves the space and time to stop and calm. And in the calming, you're basically doing that deeper inner work to like assess like what, what happened, like how, how could I've, could have done this better? Or how could I have the situation been made in a way that was more, was, 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 was like more productive to me and to the situation? Like how could like in the stopping and calming is when the deeper looking happens and then rest into that space of like, huh, okay. I'm letting that imprint and then healing from that experience, then starting again. And so you know, for me, like I've been through a crazy roller coaster of, of building, of building companies and, and having crazy things happen. And um, the first few times I kind of just pushed through them and kind of pushed down some of the trauma and just like dusted myself up and like popped up, you know, like someone trips and falls and they like kind of sprain their ankle and then they feel embarrassed. And they just keep walking as if nothing happened versus like, ow, like that, like I was at an Oprah event and Oprah on stage twisted her ankle and like wearing these heels. And she literally just, she fell on her butt on stage in front of 15,000 people. And I was there and it was, it was so powerful, powerful to watch. And she just laid there for like maybe like two minutes, then like took her shoes off, her heels off. She like got on her one knee just to test out her ankle. It was fine. And then she kind of like got back up gingerly and just sort of walked on it. And she just gave herself in front of 15,000 people. She just pop up and like, I'm oh gonna, like, woohoo. You know, like she just gave herself the space to just stop, calm, rest for a moment, gather herself, and then get up powerfully. Everyone was like standing over, like, just like how she, handled herself in that moment was so powerful. Like we think that by saving face and by being like, oh, okay, like I'm, I'm walking off right now. Like that, that that's like making us feel stronger, but actually like vulnerability is powerful. Like actually what's more powerful is giving us our, ourselves the space to like stop calm and rest to then heal and then get back even stronger. So I learned that the hard way. I tried to come back faster then I had to kind of take some time to really stop calming and rest. And then, you know, fully heal. My thyroid's fully healed. My autoimmune issue is completely gone. Like I'm completely healed from any of like this, this the, the issues that I've had because I gave myself the space to calm, stop calming and rest. Is that your biggest healing protocol, giving yourself space? What, what else do you do to keep healing yourself in a world where you've got a three-year-old child, a marriage, a business, a home, and there's always some drama. So what do you do, not only to heal, but to stay on that healing track? Physically, what do you do? Yeah, having an accountability person, whether it's a coach or a therapist, or even if you don't have like, people, if we don't have like the capital or whatever to, to spend on that, having a friend that can be called, you know, you count your, you know, in my book, Disrupt Her, I talk about accountability buddies, like forming an accountability buddy system with somebody to hold you accountable for your dreams, to hold you accountable for your purges when you have to get the gunk out. You know, with my, with my coach who's now also one of my best friends, 
like when I just like have to just get the shit out, I just call her and I'm like, I need to purge. And then she's not trying to solve. She's not trying to fix. She's not trying to like figure it out. She just lets me get the, sh- the throw up out onto the, on into like the space. And then I get to be like, okay, like, you know, after you throw up and you're like, you feel like so much better already just by throwing, because when you're trying to like, when someone's trying to solve it right away, you don't, you're, you're trying to like, you don't, you're not getting the throw up out, like all the throw up out. You're just trying to, you're blocking the throw up from coming out. So the first step is like getting all the feelings and the purging out. So having an accountability buddy to do that with, with each other on a regular basis you know, like weekly, like I talk to, I talk to, you know, my, my best friend coach every single week and share whatever it is that's coming up for me in that moment, um, in that time, you know, uh, in my relationships, in my work, in my personal life. Um, and that has changed my life to be able to have someone to hold, hold Sorry. Was she your coach and then she became your best friend or was she your best friend? And then she became, no, she was, she was my, she was my coach first and yeah. she's been my coach for seven years. And now she's one of my best friends as well. But yeah, she's I love like, that. Cause who would say no, people say to me, I say, Oh, my, some of my clients are my best friends. I'm like, oh, no, you can't do that. That's the rule. So do you know, I, I don't care about rules. Yeah. My, yeah. my dearest, dearest, dearest friends going to me as a client. And I, I'm, I just love her to bits. And I yeah. think, I love the fact that you break rules. I, I believe it says don't enter. I'm going to go straight through there. So have you always been like that, a rule breaker and someone who's prepared to be outrageous and confrontational, disruptive? Have you always been like that or did that come to you later? The thing is, it's like, why is a woman's period, the thing that creates human life, outrageous? Like who made that outrageous? The patriarchy, you know what I mean? So it's like, who made the concept of going to the bathroom when you're a mom having a baby, all you do is talk about poop with your husband or partner, you know, it's like, or, or, or your, or your friends, all you do is talk about poop all day long. Like my kid poop, like, Oh my God, I finally had the diaper I'm pooping. It's just a, when all of a sudden you get to an adult, you can't talk about it. And humans all of a sudden don't do women don't go to the bathroom anymore because it's uncouth. It's like, again, who says the patriarchy? It's just, so it's like, I don't subscribe to, like the idea of anything being off limits because why are they off limits at all? Like, why is talking about money? This is why I wrote my book Disruptor in the first place. You know, I talk about money a lot in my book Disruptor because we have to disrupt our notion around money, how it's not something that we shouldn't be talking about. That's something that we, I always love talking about because it, it actually engages people in like, wait, what am I doing with my money? Like, should I be investing it? I've never thought about investing before because I've never, I felt so ashamed about not knowing where to invest. And I just have it in my savings account. And now I feel too ashamed to even start. So I just now have it collecting dust in my savings account, which is why men, you know, who are talking amongst each other about money are actually making a ton more when they retire. They have four times more money than women because they're talking about investing and women often are too ashamed or afraid or whatever to talk about it. So there's just so many things that, that, that are considered taboo to talk about. Even men are afraid to talk about money sometimes because it's uncomfortable in society. And guess who gets to talk about it? The powerful people behind closed doors. And it's like, no, everyone is entitled to talk about whatever they want as long as it's done in a way that's fully accepting and not shamey in nature. And so I feel like, I I feel like 
the conversations of going to the bathroom, the conversations of women's period, the conversations of eating, what are you eating? It's like, don't talk about what I'm eating because people are ashamed about what they're, it's like, why, what, what, like, why can't there be dialogue about absolutely everything? And, and like, why does it have to be something that's like taboo, like sex, like everyone is here in some, most people are here because of sex. It's like, I'm all of a sudden some like taboo breaker talking about the things that literally everybody does all the time. <laughs> so I just don't see it that way. And so I think, I think because I don't see it that way, I don't think of myself as a rule breaker. I'm just talking about the things that we all do. Yeah. You know, when my when I was at school, I went to a state school and my brother went to private school. In, in English, it's called public school, you pay. So I went to the school that was free. My brother went to the school that was paid for because he was a boy. That's that ancient craziness. He's the boy. And my parents paid for him to go to a very expensive school. And I went to the regular state school. And I can still remember that when I had math, my math would be, you have five bananas you eat one and give two M and you got left. Well, obviously I've got two bananas left because I've given away the others or eaten them. But my brother's math was you have eight companies and you sell three to an investor and you got left. It's like, oh, my brother sold his companies but he's got all the money. So he's got all his extras. Even at five, even the way you teach math to children, I have six apples, I eat four and I got left. Well, I've eaten half my stock as opposed to you buy eight properties, you rent two out, you sell three. And it's very interesting. Then the private school system, they talk about stock, shares, equity, mass, capital mass. And so they talk about apples and bananas. And um, I always thought that was fascinating. I know when my little girl was having a period, I was saying, you know, in Spain and Mexico, when you have a period, you step in a red circle and everyone gives you gifts and you become a woman. She went, mommy, if you give me a period party, I will never speak to you again for the rest of my life. I said, baby, it's a wonderful day. You become a woman. You should celebrate. And I remember telling her dad and he asked, if you started your period, she went, mommy, why did you tell him? It's so embarrassing. And then I remember going to her school because she was only about 11 when she started her period and she hadn't gone up to high school. And I'm saying to the teacher, you know, what, what can she do? And they said, oh, she'll have to use the teacher's toilet. I'm like, no, that's never going to happen because that, you're making her feel so different. Yes. I, yes. I gave her these little scented diaper bags, actually. So, darling, just put your stuff in there and just bring it home. They're all scented. Don't worry about it. But you don't have to go to the teacher's bathroom. So that's completely wrong for a girl of 11. But it's so weird that even they, they know how to be embarrassed about going to the bathroom and they had to be embarrassed about their bodily functions. It is such a shame. But what, what, what would you say has been your biggest obstacle as a woman starting your own business, writing books? What's been your biggest obstacle you've had to overcome or obstacles? Well, yeah. I mean, I think being taken seriously, it's yeah. like, period underwear, a, a bidet attachment. Like, what the hell are you doing? I'm not putting my money in that. I'm not investing in that. I don't believe in that. So access to capital was a challenge initially, for sure. Um, and just going against societal conditioning. I mean, the, this is why I wrote my book, Disruptor, because we're so deeply conditioned to doing things that actually don't support us. I mean, back in the day, like people said, smoke cigarettes and, and it actually makes you more attractive or whatever. Valium, yeah. Yeah. And take Valium and drink 
don't drink breast milk, drink formula. It's better for you because they want to sell these products. Yeah. Get a it's, like, it's like you're selling these, these, these unconscious consumable products like toilet paper that are literally killing the biggest carbon sinks in the world, the Canadian boreal forest, the Amazon rainforest, that these trees are literally keeping us alive and we're literally cutting them down Mm -hmm. and wiping our asses with them. And it doesn't clean, it's giving ourselves infections and diseases because it doesn't properly clean us. So it's like, it's like a, it's in, when we actually wake up, this is why like the idea of disrupting the norms of like what you think and like believe to be true is so critical and just like, like entering into the a phase of newness in the world is so, so important. And, you know, and so, so I just, I just feel like it's the, it's the, it's the breaking down of cultural conditioned thinking that is the greatest challenge for anyone trying to innovate and change things in the world. And so, you know, people are conditioned to be like, yeah, my grandmother used toilet paper, my grand, my parents use it, I'm using it. So like, I'm going to, no, like, but, but let's question it. Why should I question it? I'm just doing that. It's fine. It's like, but is it though? Like, and so I think like a lot of things, I don't guess how long it took for doctors to wash their hands before surgery, before operations, when they learned that yeah. washing hands decreases infections by like 90% before an operation. Guess how long it took to actually adopt it back then? I remember that. It was when women were dying, giving birth, and they realized it was the doctors delivering the baby, going from baby to baby, and the sleeves of their shirts and their hands, they were so full of bacteria. That's why Henry VIII's baby died. That's why all those women, those royal women, and women were losing babies because the people that delivered babies didn't wash their hands. Their hands weren't clean. But tell me, from... That being um, researched and understood to it being implemented, how long was it? 30 years. 30 years, wow. And so the good news is with the onset of the internet and information getting traveled, much, be able to travel much faster, these solutions happen much quicker. I mean, with things, it took us a few, only like three, three years to really see that exponential growth with Tushy. It's, it's been like a longer process to change a bathroom habit um, and put a device onto your toilet. Hmm. So that's been like, you know, six years to get to that sort of like a new, a new normal of, mm-hmm. of what people are thinking about when it comes to going to the bathroom and their hygiene, the way people actually think about it and talking about it. Um, it's taken six years, not 30, but it's still, I mean, we're still on our, on, on our way. And um, so yeah, it's what we're up against is the status quo. And the status quo, the status quo wants to stay so rigid and anyone trying to agitate the status quo will be shunned, called names, tried to be canceled, talk shit about, like made to look like a fool because the status quo wants to maintain its form. And these are disruptors. Here's the status quo and they're disruptors trying to like push this huge status quo thinking this way. It's like, what are you talking about? The earth is flat, obviously. Everyone thought the earth was flat. And, and it's sort of like, you're an idiot. The earth isn't round. You're cra- You're an absolute insane person. And like, that's the kind, That's what we're up against. Where, we, where people are, are burned at the witch, at the stake 
for witchcraft, for thinking differently, for being powerful, for being strong, for being different. And that is happening again and again today in the cancel culture for those, for the status quo to maintain its form. So that's what we're up against the most. Yes, I'm a, I stopped using shampoo about four years ago. I just thought, you know, I, I looked at my cats and thought, my cats have got lovely silky skin. Yeah. I stopped using shampoo. I stopped using makeup. I stopped using perfume because I realized that all of yeah. these things, Chemicals. I'd, I'd had cancer and I realized they all go through and thought, I'm going to stop. People say, what, you don't use shampoo? And I never, I never use shampoo. I don't use anything. I don't use shower gel. I use coconut yeah. oil to take my makeup off. I don't use perfume. I think perfume is the new cigarettes because it has to cross your immune system and you might yeah. find a really good perfume without parabens, without sulfates. But, you know, we just get so blind. Well, you know, you should wash your hair and then condition it and then clean your face and then tone it, then put on serum, then put on moisture, then put on primer. It's like, and then put on base. And it's like, but all this stuff is full of chemicals and spray myself with perfume. Yeah. And it's like, but where do you think all those chemicals go? And when you start to question it, actually, do I need shampoo? My, my, my dog is perfectly clean. I don't shampoo him. My yeah. rabbit's very glossy, but he doesn't have a shampoo every three days. Yeah, I, I, I shampoo. challenging it. Go on. Sorry. I shampoo once a, maybe once a week, maybe once every 10 days. Yeah. Shampoo and condition. Yeah, but if you look at Indian women and Arabic women and beautiful, long, glossy, dark hair, no yeah. in Africa, people just don't have shampoo and I know, yeah. body wash. And they look so much healthier than we do. And now, you know, they have this, I noticed for my cats, they have cat wipes. So you can wipe your cat with a cat. I know. Cats don't need to be wiping with cat wipes. They have all the baby perfume. I saw that recently. It's called Oh my God, no. Perfume for babies. It's like, who would spray a brand new little baby? But then they've that whole, that whole thing about women putting talcum powder in their pants and getting ovarian cancer. Oh my God. And putting talc all over babies and their little genitals are so close to their nostrils that they end up inhaling it. And all the things we think of, I'm going to put baby lotion on my baby because it's baby lotion. I'm going to put baby oil because it's, but then I'm going to put baby powder. Oh, yeah. So you've got to stop and think about what are you putting on your body? And indeed on your baby's body, you're just putting on the cocktail of chemicals. And then I, I, mean, I met someone who adopted a baby from China. Well, he's, he's allergic to milk, but I'm getting him used to it. It's like, but he's allergic yeah. Yeah. to it. Why do you think cow's milk is good for a baby or indeed a cat? We're all so brainwashed. Yeah, exactly. All conditioning. It's, all, the- it's all conditioning. And it's like breaking that conditioned thinking is the greatest challenge. And I this is why I love it. Yeah. It's like, I love like how can we break this conditioning using creativity? enrolling people in a way through laughter, getting people to, you know, like, like quite be like, Oh, that I never thought about that. Like, but using art and using design and using an aesthetic appeal to lure you in instead of being like, buy this thing, you're disgusting, you're dirty. It's like, no, like, I mean, that might be true, but that's not what, that's not what's going to sell you shame. What's going to sell you is like a beautiful, artful experience when they, when you come to our website, when you open our package, when you experience our product and our brand, what's going to get you there is to like read our copy and it makes you laugh and it makes you feel like you're talking to your best friend. 
you know, what's going to get you is like using the product and making you feel so clean and so safe and so like taken care of that you can't help but tell your friends about it. Like that's how you kind of change culture is through that enrollment and that inspiration and less so the sort of the, de the greater demands and like that people are asking. And I know from, from my own experience that when I demand people to do things, it doesn't, it just doesn't land nearly as well as when I enroll and inspire and, and almost like, you know, like do it that way. So what would be your top tips you'd advise women in particular when they want to go into the marketplace? They still see it's very male driven and they have an idea, but they're scared of rejection. Because I see with all my clients, their biggest yeah. fear, I'm going to write a book. What if nobody likes it? What if nobody reads it? What if it gets a terrible review? What got you to write your first and second book? How did you keep going through that? I always think, you know, I think about like DJs or I think about musicians and I think about like one of my best, one of my best friends, Vic, is a, my favorite friend's DJ, Victorian. Check him out, check out his music on Spotify. It's just amazing, Victorian. Um, he sometimes plays for crowds of like, 15,000, 20,000. And sometimes he literally like plays at a house party with our friends. And when something's happening, everyone's talking over there while he's DJing here alone. And I ask him, I'm like, you know, what is it like, like, how do you feel when like people aren't like paying attention to like the thing that you spent all this time and energy where he's like, I'm playing for myself. I'm doing it for me and I'm writing it for me. And I really relate to that because like I'm solving my problem first and foremost. That's why like what sucks in my world is the first question I ask myself before starting any business, before creating any, writing any book, like what sucks in my world? I couldn't find a book that walked me through how to go from step zero, step one in business and in life until I wrote it with do cool shit. Like I would read all these amazing books by like Richard Branson and Tony Shea and like, you know, and by Phil Knight and all these amazing books, but it would just be autobiographies and like, and then I raised a million dollars. And it's like, but what email did you write them? Like, how did you get the first $25,000? how did you even get them in the room? What did you wear? Like, you know, like all these main questions, like the basic questions. So I, I put in, I, I wrote Do Cool Shit, which is a story driven story. So it's a page turner, but it also walks you through exactly what email I sent to get the first person to come to my meeting of the minds. Like, what did I cook and prepare for the meal when I had, you know, the meeting of the minds dinner and like investors to come to like, you know, a investor dinner and presentation, like to the details of what exactly what I did to go from step zero to step one, to raise my first $250,000 for my business, like holding your hand through a fun story driven story. Like that's what I wanted to read. I couldn't find it. It was either a autobiography that was really fun to read, but I didn't get the step-by-step or it's like these textbook, like how to start a business, which by page three, my eyes are crossed. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's so much like how to start a company. So versus like a fun book. So Ducal shit was born because of that. I, I had, a, I want, I wanted to create a product, a book that I would have wanted to read disrupt her. I wrote disrupt her because I really wanted to disrupt my own notions, my own deeply conditioned beliefs around money, around business, around power, around, you know, friendships around relationships, around career, around stuff, the culture of more stuff. Like, you know, there's, 
it's like the, we're just so deeply conditioned and how do we undo decondition ourselves to create exactly the life that we want exactly the disruptive abundant like free existence that we actually don't even know we can have like that's the book i would have loved to read and i couldn't find it and so i wrote it and so it's sort of like the same thing i want to find i couldn't find period product that satisfied my very heavy bleeding i would bleed through my tampons my pads everything bleed out everywhere. My mattresses, my everything was just covered. Needed a product for that, for going to the bathroom with a bidet. Like I need to solve my own problem because of my thyroid issue. So it always has to be like a thing that I'm so deeply passionate about to solve this problem for. And then of course, you know, if it solves a problem for other people, if people enjoy it, people like it, people get something out of it, that's amazing. And I, and I want that. And of course that's what makes it a business. But what, what creates that drives the passion, the flame, it's not like, hmm, let me write a book that I think people are going to buy. Not let me write a book that's burning deep inside that I wish I had. Like, or let me create a product that people want to buy. Like, you know, it's like, I'm going to buy a company. I'm going to sell I'm going to create a company. I'm going to sell it in two years and make $10 million. I'm going to sell a company, make $100 million. Or I'm going to sell it. That's so not coming from a place of depths of passion. It's coming from a place of like, more money and more stuff. And it's to me, like, it's not necessarily in integrity with like what's burning deep inside. So I always say, start with like what matters to you so much, so much, what you care about, what lights you up, what like, wow, I just saw this. I just created this start there. And then all of it will follow. So tell me something else, because you are a very out there, disruptive woman. I love that about you. The minute I remember when I met you, I said, I love you because in some you're very not like me, but you also are like me because you say what you think and you don't hold back and you follow your passion. But a lot of women are scared of the haters because I, you know, once you go out there in the public eye, you, you get accepted and rejected. So people love you, people hate you. And there's more trolling and more hating and more yeah. people diminishing women because they say, I don't like that woman. Who are you to stand there with your opinions and, and challenge everybody? And I see a lot of women who, I want to write a book, but I'm scared. I, mean, I want to do this, but I'm scared of being rejected. And I know that's why primitively our greatest fear is to be rejected because not long ago, we had to belong to a tribe and to belong, even to survive, we had to find connections avoid rejection, in fact, we're hardwired to this day to find connection and avoid rejection. So what do you do about the haters, the people that come on and are really mean and demissive and horrible just because you are saying what you want to say with passion and making something amazing? Um, can, you, can you say that one more time? Yeah. It may not even bother you, but but the the, the trolling, the criticism, yeah. the people yeah. that come on and say horrible things just because they resent you for having a voice and an opinion and stepping out of your comfort zone yeah. and going, wake up and do this. How do you cope with the people that want to diminish you? And even if it doesn't get to you, what would you say to other women, other people who say, I I'm scared of having a presence because of all the negativity that comes with it? 
Yeah. I think again, it, it, it comes down to the why, like, why are you sharing a part of yourself? Why are you sharing the business? If it's something that you really feel is productive, is valuable, is value add, is an integrity with who you are, then you actually will find that courage to share versus like, I'm sharing because I want you to look at me or I'm doing this Instagram video because I want to be popular and famous. And it's like, that comes with a lot of insecurity and like, what if people don't accept me? What if people reject me? What if, what if, what if, versus like when you're doing it from your true ground, when you're doing it from a place of like, I believe in this and I'm going to share this out because I really believe that if I share, like, I'm so excited to share this thought I just had, like, I'm so excited to share this feeling. I just learned. I just, I'm so excited to share this product. I just came up with because you know, like I, it, it works and it, it, it's changing people's lives. You know, like there's such a deep passion that like, it's not coming from this fake place. And I think when people are the most afraid of putting themselves out there is because it's not necessarily coming from their true ground. It's coming from a place of wanting to be seen and wanting to be look at me. And I think that in those moments, they have to check in with themselves and say, am I sharing this? Because I deeply want to share this because I feel it. And it's just something that I want other people to know because I just learned something amazing and magical and valuable that I want, like, I just want to get it out and also, and also memorialize it in my social media or memorialize that these learnings and these thoughts in a book, which is what I've done. Like, you know, like have my, have my books been New York times bestsellers? No. Have they been Amazon bestsellers? Sure. But like, do I care about that? No, I, I put out, I now have these memorialized pieces of work that people are, you know, who read that this book changed my life. I mean, that, I mean, I would say like, I don't know, over 20,000, I mean, I don't know, 50, 100, I don't know how many books I've sold of, of both of my books, but I know that tens of thousands of people have read Do Cool Shit and have quit their jobs and started their dream lives. I know, like, I know, I like, it's just over the years, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable how much it's affected change, just based on me wanting to share, like, all the things I learned authentically, like, oh my God, like, and same thing with, with, with Disruptor, it's like, wow, like, I just disrupted this way of thinking, like, I want to share this out, and, you know, and, and like, and now, like, I'm getting these messages, like, this is changing, this has changed the way I think about absolutely everything in my life like thank you and it's again it's coming from me just having these realizations and being like i i don't care what the outcome is i just want to get this out and and i know how much it's changed my life and i want other people to feel that too it's coming from a truly authentic place so i really love that but tell me because i know we're running out of time a couple of things i want to ask you first of all, what are your three top tips to master your own mind if you could only pick three what would they be? Three tips you give to anyone who wants to master their own mind. You know, you and I both know that 80% of success is mindset. Of course, you have to work hard. You have to put in the hours, but it's really mindset. You have to master your own mind. You have to dialogue with yourself better. I mean, if you were asking me, I'd say you have to overcome fear and be more excited about making it than fearing not making it. But if you had to give people three tips how to master their mind so they would be as successful as you are what advice would you give some up-and-coming girl in high school who says I want to be like Mickey or some single mom who said hey I've got a product but what what are the three tips you would give me to do what you've done what would you say I would say the first thing is to build your community and and show up for others first and I think like why that's important is that 
entrepreneurship is really freaking intense and a lot. And as a result, like you'll need, you know, over time, a lot of support. So by starting by making sure that you show up for others and not doing it inauthentically, because if I show up for you, then we show up for me, just like genuinely by building your community and a tribe and feeling deep belonging, you can, you can get through and wade through the ups and downs and turmoils and takedowns and crazy shit that happens in your businesses so much easier because you have your tribe of people that love you and you love that you have cultivated and curated and, and like, and, and, and watered and, and, and made fertile this community. Like I've, you know, I have the most epic community of friends who, you know, we've, we've been fertilizing the soil of this community and tribe for so long of we show up for each other, no matter what's going on in our lives, we deeply connect with each other that when, when we go through shit in our lives and all this stuff, we're like 1000% have each other's backs through ups and downs. And I feel like people forget they're like, I'm too busy. I'm working. I've got I'm building my company. I can't meet. I can't go there. Like, sorry. Like I'm building my thing. I don't have time. I just this, I just that. And then you start to lose the community and then you feel isolated. So when you go through really hard things and you're an entrepreneur, it's very lonely sometimes being at the top of your little mountain, your little, you know, being on your, on your, on your top of your little Island mountain. So having a community that you are cultivating, that you're showing up for, that you're there for, that you're, even if you're busy, you still connect with them and show up for them and support them and they support you and it's authentic and real. You can do anything. I can do anything. And so it's very counterintuitive, but I would suggest you read my sister's book, Belong. She built Daybreaker to like 500,000 person community globally and um, through dance, the early morning dance and check out daybreaker.com. It's absolutely incredible. And, um, and she wrote this book, Belong, about like how to create belonging, how to build your community, how to build your tribe, how to really cultivate and foster friendships that can help you get through anything um, in life. And so um, we live in this like me, me, me generation with us in our phones and we forget to show up for others. And, and I consider myself a fucking awesome friend, like right. to my people. And so like people know that they can count on me for like when they're going through shit, when they need some support, when they need a GoFundMe, whatever it is, they know they can count on me to show up for them and, 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 and vice versa. Like I know that I have amazing friends who send me flowers when I'm feeling sad, who like, who send me notes and make me feel loved. And like, that's all, that's all there is in the world. Actually. It's like, yes, we're building our empire. We're doing our thing, but like all that's going to go. And what's left is our community. What's left is love. And like, can we, can we harvest and, and cultivate that as much as possible more than anything? And, and that's what matters the most. So that's, the, that's like it. Oh, that's, I think. It. that's all of it. Two it. or is that the one? Sorry? Well, that's enough. I think, I think, so before you go, I know I said to you in the beginning, you've got balls. And I always think, I don't know why we say that about women. You've got balls. Or we, we say things yeah. like, you're vulnacious. Like our friend, my friend Layla and I, we were, we were all be brand um, There was a great woman who was in the, the golden girls who said, why do you tell people they've got balls? Balls are such fragile, delicate things. They're yeah. really, but whereas a vagina, that can really take a big, <laughs> yeah. Balls are these little shriveled up things that are very fragile and you can't scratch them. You can't smack them. 
You can't pound them. So vaginas are actually much better. And then, of course, the other thing I always think is amazing, <laughs> when you say it's the bollocks, that's the biggest. When you swear, but when you call people the C word, that's the biggest insult. I, thought, wow, I know. A man's genitals is the biggest form of women's is the biggest form of insult. Where did that even come from? That because you know the patriarchy. That's, that's the patriarchy. Why, yeah, that's yeah. why we create life. So um, I always think about these things that women just accept that that bollocks is a compliment. And if you've got balls, you're tough. But the female genitals are an insult. And um, it actually, we should start reversing that because, it, it, you know, we're stronger. We create life. And the world couldn't go on without women. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I know I've taken a lot of your time, but you've been so useful for our audience. I know they're going to love you. By Disruptor. By, what's your first book? Do Great Shit. Do Cool Shit. Because my daughter's got him a T-shirt about epic shit. So for a minute, I was confused. Do cool shit. And get a tushy. It'll change your life. I've got tushy. Uh, my daughter's got the period pants and buy the book. I've got Disruptor, but I'm going to get do cool shit as well. So, Mickey, it's been amazing. I'm now hearing that song. Remember that? Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. You blow my mind. Do you remember that song? Of course. I love it. Well, that's going to be, that's my theme song for you. So thank you so much. I know... All of my audience will be fascinated by how you've taken two regular products. You see, you don't have to go to work. I mean, if you look at James Dyson, he took a vacuum cleaner. He's like the seventh richest person in the world. He took, he took a hairdryer, a vacuum cleaner, a fan, and he made them better. And you've taken sanitary wear, period products, and using the bathroom and made it better. So that's what you have to do to be a success. You don't have to invent anything. Look in the market and go this needs updating and if you can update a product you can be amazing and by the way everything we buy without question this is how it's going to make us feel and when you can go out wearing period pants not about leaking when you can come from the toilet thinking I feel so clean you feel good and that's what we buy stuff that makes us feel good and I was in Japan I loved B-Day so much. And when I came back to America, I had them put in all of my bathrooms and the same thing in England too. And But I didn't have the ones where you had to have the water and the, I just had the cold water ones, including yours. And they are a lovely thing to have. So well done you for taking an existing product and making it a million times better. And by the way, we can all walk around the store and think, it's like people who took, ring, t- took cans of tuna and put the ring pull on them. That made a product better for everyone to get the can opener out and just think of something you can take to the market that's already you could make it so much better thank you for listening to master your mind with marissa i'm marissa peer founder and creator of rapid transformational therapy known as rtt rtt is my life's work and passion combined into a unique and proven program for therapists to create powerful change with their clients. I feel blessed every day to see the transformations it brings and the ripple effect it's creating in the therapy world. To find out more, visit rtt.com.